So we've been studying the life of David for the past several months, and this morning we want to sum it up. And so we thought about what is the legacy of David, and I was thinking to myself, um, suppose I had to write an obituary for David. What would I write? Or if someone came to me and said, listen, uh, I want you to write a description of David and his life in under 25 words. What would you write? As I thought about it, I said, I'm going to look and see what other biblical writers later said about David. What was it that they, as they looked back on the life of David, as they thought about David, that um, they would say of David? Um, in Second Chronicles, um, David uh, 8.14 and Nehemiah 12.24 and 25, David is described as David the man of God. That's not a bad way to be remembered, especially by a man uh, of Nehemiah's spiritual caliber. And when you think there's only 13 people in the Old Testament who are called a man of God, and seven of them are named, the other six are not, but those who are named um, include Moses, Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, Shemaiah, and Hanan. That's not a bad group to be uh, coupled up with. David was a man of God. Elisha and Elisha are known for their statement, as the Lord lives before whom I stand. These were men who knew that God was alive and that they were to live in a responsible way before him. And David was this kind of man. In 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9, David is talking to the people about providing for the building of the temple. God, that was his dream, but God said, no, you're not going to do it, but your son Solomon will do it. And after talking to the people, he gives a charge to Solomon. And the first item David addresses is he says this, know the God of your father. The thing David felt was of most importance um, to pass on to his son was I want you to know God. He wanted Solomon to have a God-centered life. As we've explored David's life and caught the spiritual struggles being fought as revealed by the Psalms in these difficult times, we recognize that it was a struggle seeing who God was. And as he went through those, he, he had a growing understanding of the character and heart of David. I put up a couple other verses out of Philippians because David's life reminds me of another man who had that same focus. Someone has said that, found that God himself was the core of all he believed and the governing gravitational force of all that he did. When Paul wrote uh, that I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. And David said, Solomon, here's the most important thing. Know God. 
And here in 2 Samuel chapter 22, this psalm talks about David's experience with God. We could go back through the psalms. If you remember when we did uh, David and Nabal, I, I went back through all the, the different events in David's life where there was a psalm written about it and, and highlighted uh, some of the things that were said in the psalms. And so uh, when they watched David's house in order to kill him, he said, but as for me, I will sing of your strength. Yes, I will joyfully sing of your loving kindness in the morning. You have been my stronghold and refuge in the day of my distress. In Psalm 59, when the Philistines seized him in Gath, he said, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? Psalm 34, that was Psalm 56. Psalm 34, also written of that time, says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And we could go down to when he was in the cave, when he was in the wilderness of Judah, when the Ziphites uh, betrayed him. And in each one of those situations, as David uh, was wrestling with this situation and throwing himself upon God, he learned more about God. And here in this psalm, we, we see that same kind of thing. We're not going to go through this psalm. Um, but this is just what Chuck Swindoll, this is what his outline to it. I looked at two or three different outlines, thought about putting them all up because they were all good. But Chuck Swindoll says, this is what David learned. As he looks back over his life, he's writing this psalm as he's looking back over this whole period of his life. Verses 2 to 20, when times are tough, the Lord is our only security. You are my rock. You are my stronghold. You are my refuge. Verses 21 to 31, when one's days are dark, the Lord is our only light. And so he talks about the Lord giving him light. Um, in verses 32 to 40, when our walk is weak, the Lord is our only strength. In verses 41 to 51, when our future is foggy or fuzzy, that sounds like Swindoll, doesn't it? Um, the Lord is our only hope. This is what David learned. When I need strength, it's the Lord. When I need direction, when I need to see my way forward, it's the Lord. When uh, I can't do it, he's my strength. And when I'm not sure what the future holds, he's my hope. And this is what David met in the Lord. And so as he looks at young Solomon, and, and Solomon's been crowned king, and he's going to take David's place, he says, listen, this is my my." most important priority that I want to convince you of. Know the Lord as your father David did. That growing confidence in and dependence on God is what David wanted for Solomon. And his charge comes down to us as well. Give priority to knowing God. How do you know God? Well, you know him through the word. First, in John 5, 
39 to 40, Jesus said to the Jews of his day, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, but you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. But he says, listen, in the word of God, it is God's revelation of who he is. It's his revelation of his heart. It's his revelation of his character. It's his revelation of, of who he wants us to know. Are you a student of the word? I almost put it up. There's a wonderful quote out of uh, John Piper's uh, book, Knowing God, about trying to make sense of this world without knowing the God who made this world. And we see that confusion in our world around us. That's not to be the mark of our lives. We are to know the living God, and he's given us this book to meet him and know him. The second thing that God does is, is through obedience. The word of God is the beginning point, and the Holy Spirit gives insight into the character and heart of God. But then, as we listen to God's word, it leads to obedient applications to how we live and think. In John 14, 29, Jesus said, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Bill McDonald says of this verse, As we grow in our love for God the Father and the Lord Jesus, the Lord makes himself known to us in special ways. We see this over and over again in David's experience of obeying and trusting God in difficult situations, and then the corresponding psalm speaking of David's fresh insight into God's character and care. God wants us to know him. God wants us to see. And, and as the experience of, of life, what does he do? He stretches us because God's bigger than we think. There's a book written a number of years ago called Your God is Too Small. And God takes us to experiences in life and we come away finding out God is big enough to meet that need. God is big enough to meet that situation. And then it prepares us for the next one. And so David says to Solomon, no, no God. Do you know God? Not in a superficial way. Do you know God? So when you enter into a problem, your first response is to independency on God, looking to God for his help and direction. The second term that I found used of David was the servant of the Lord. This is a description often used both by David and later biblical writers, uh, both in Psalm 18 and 36, in the description, in, uh, in the inscription over the Psalms, uh, Psalm 144 was written by David, and the other one was written by Asaph. It says, uh, David, the servant of the Lord. That's how David saw himself. I am the Lord's servant. That's how he wrote of himself. I am God's servant. In Psalm 78, 70, in one uh, 144.10 used the term his servant, God's servant. 
David saw himself that way. Do you see yourself that way? I think of Elijah and Elisha again. As the Lord lives before whom I stand. I'm God's representative. And we go out into the world. We carry the name of Christ. And people look. God saw David that way. In Psalm 89, 20, Jeremiah 33, 26, Ezekiel 34, 23, 37, 24 to 25, God speaks of my servant, David. In Ezekiel, some of those verses are future references that David's going to have a role in the kingdom. And God has a confidence in David because David proved himself to be God's servant. Even a thousand years later, in Acts 4.25, when the church is praying about um, the opposition of the Jewish leaders, and they prayed to God, quoting Psalm 2, they said it was by your servant David. Are you a servant of the Lord Jesus? And so you find... In 1 Chronicles, when David lays the charge on Solomon, his second charge is serve God. Serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. There's perhaps a, a reference there to David's failure with Bathsheba. Solomon Make sure it's a, with a whole heart and a willing mind. But you know, David left a legacy of wholehearted um, dedication to the Lord. Psalm 9-1, a psalm of David. I will give thanks to you with all my heart. David writes a lot in his psalms about the heart. In 1 Kings 14-8, when God pronounced judgment on Jeroboam I of Israel, he said, you have not been like my servant David who followed me with all of his heart. Sadly, in 1 Kings eleven four, God says Solomon's heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David had been. David demonstrated a heart totally devoted to God. And he wanted that for his son. Want to make sure they're where I am. What about us? How do we serve God? The same idea of wholehearted servings found in the New Testament. I'm just leaving you one reference, but you can go to the verses in Ephesians and elsewhere about servants and that they are to do it not as eye service, as men pleasers, but recognizing that in your jobs, in your responsibilities, you're not just serving who you're under, you're serving the Lord Christ. And so Paul sums it up in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do your work wholeheartedly as for the Lord rather than for men, 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of his inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. God calls us to be servants. A thousand years after David died, they were still calling David the servant of the Lord because his life showed it. Whether worship or work, David was completely devoted to the Lord and he left a legacy of wholeheartedness in his dealings with God. David's final charge to Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28.9 was seek the Lord. He said, if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. And David left a legacy of seeking God. Psalm 27 verse 8 says, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face I shall seek. There's no uh, thing above Psalm 28. It doesn't give us any background as to what the situation was that he was talking about. But David refers to a time in his life where he recognized that God called him to seek him. And the response of David's heart was, yes, I want to know you. I will seek your face. In Psalm 34, 4, when David was in Gath, caught by the Philistines, Philistines, they were thinking about uh, killing him. He wrote, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. F.B. Myers writes on Psalm uh, 27 this way, He who waits for the Lord shall not be long without the God for whom he waits. We too have been invited to seek God. In Matthew 6, after talking about the Gentile world, how it seeks for what it will eat, what it will drink, what it will wear, the Lord says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek me. Seek my kingdom. Seek my righteousness. The world has a lot of things that it wants you to seek. In Colossians 3, Paul commands, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is at the right hand of God. Keep seeking. John Denny down at Kansas Bible Camp, I was talking to him about uh, Colorado, and he said, you know, here in Kansas, when you look at the sunset, you can see it for miles away. He said, I went to Colorado. Every time I tried to look for a sunset, there's a pile of rocks in my way. Sometimes that's how it is with seeking the Lord, isn't it? I want to look at the Lord. I want to seek the Lord, and the world keeps putting piles of rocks in my way. You ought to get this. You ought to get that. You ought to get the other thing. Lord Jesus says, seek those things above where Christ is at the right hand of God. And the writer of Hebrews states a very familiar verse. Without faith, 
it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And how do we know God? We know it through the scriptures. We know it from as we go through life, seeking God, seeking his help, seek, and then we learn in those ex experiences that God is able, that God is good, that God is wise, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So what is David's legacy? Well, as we look at the life of David, we find that David had as his goal to seek the Lord and his glory. When he went out against Goliath, you heard him, him say, uh, who is this man to reproach the God of Israel? He didn't see him reproaching the, the, the soldiers. He saw him reproaching the God of Israel. I think the thing that hurt David the most when Nathan confronted him uh, about his sin with Bathsheba was that he had caused the nations to blaspheme by his actions. He wanted to seek the Lord. He wanted to seek the glory of the Lord. Secondly, he wanted to know the Lord by trusting his promises and being obedient to his directions. Even when others around him didn't want to, when, he, when God said, go rescue Kyla, and his soldier said, no, we don't want to go, we're afraid. And David went back to God, should we go? And God said, go up, and David went up. He wanted to be obedient. It stretched him, and he knew more about the living God. And then he wanted to serve the Lord when in the plague the man offered the ground, he offered the oxen, he offered the, the, the plowing implements for, for wood. David said, I will not give to God that which cost me nothing. No, David said. I'm going to be in wholeheartedly I'm going to serve the Lord with a whole heart and a willing mind. And so we read in Acts 13, he was a man after God's own heart. Why? How can you be a man after God's own heart? You've got to know God. You can't be a man after God's own heart if you don't know who it is, who God is. You can't emulate God's character unless you know what God's character is. And he served the purposes of God in his own generation. He was God's man. He did those things that God wanted. And all the kings that follow, God puts up against David. And says, you were somewhat like David. You weren't at all like David. He is God's ruler for the whole rest of the nation. What will our legacy be? Through the years, I, I think I've taken something like 75 or 80 funerals. And it's interesting to have the family gather and you say, what was this person like? And 
They begin to talk about this person and what was important to this person and who this person was. Sometimes I'll say to families, what, what stories do you have about this person? And some families just overflow with stories. Just overflow. And other families have very little to say. We're all leaving a legacy. And David leaves a legacy that God records in the scriptures chapter after chapter after chapter. And he measures David's life up against all the kings who follow him. And and in a certain degree, God puts David's life up and he measures ours against David. David was a person who sought God. It's your heart when God says, seek my face. It's your response, your face I will seek. God says, know me. Spend time in God's word. In the experiences of life, are you being obedient to God's directions and dependent on God to supply what's necessary? Is your life marked by service for God? These are the the three areas that David would pass on to you, just like he did his son. Solomon, know the God of your father. Serve him with with wholeheartedness and with a willing mind. Here's the promise. If you seek him, if that's the desire of your heart, he will let you find him, because that's the desire of his heart. David, in front of everybody else, looked at Solomon, who was going to be the next king. And he laid out the three most important things of his own life that he wanted for Solomon. What are you laying before your children? Are you telling them? The most important thing in life is to know the living God. Are you telling them one of the most important things in life is to serve God wholeheartedly and with a willing mind? Are you encouraging your children to seek him with the promise that if you seek him, he will let you find him and you will come to know him in a deeper way. And he'll change your life. We, like David, will leave a legacy. We can't do anything about yesterday. But we can draw a line in the sand today and say, from here on, I'm going to seek the Lord. And you find this all through the scriptures. Joshua said to the people, you worship who you want, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So that's what I looked at. Let me 
Let me read the last of those psalms again to you that I had before. Just because again and again in David, um, you see his heart. There it is. In the cave, when he came back from Gath, all alone, Psalm 142, look to the right and see. There's no one who regards me. There is no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. Another psalm from that time period, Psalm 57. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. And it has this chorus to that psalm. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. Down in the wilderness of Judea, the desert of Judea, Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. I will seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. There's that seeking of David. He goes on, for you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And then when, later when he was betrayed by the Ziphites, uh, they betrayed his location to Saul. He said, for strangers have risen against me. Violent men have sought my life. They have not set God before them. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. And we read that, and I think sometimes it creates a hunger in our hearts. And that God says, or David says of that God, if you seek him, he will let you find him. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for this life. We've spent uh, almost three months looking at it, looking at the Psalms he wrote. And yet when it all boils down, it really boils down to, to some very simple things. Seeking you, knowing you by obedience and by being in your word and choosing to serve you. And so as we go out from this place and tomorrow we have opportunity to live our lives in front of others, Lord, may there be evidence that we've chosen you and we're... Um, desirous of being your servants. So we ask for your blessing. Search our hearts. Try us. See if there's some wicked way, some wrong way in our lives. 
and then graciously lead us in the way everlasting because we ask it in Jesus' name.